millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hi, I'm Sarah Smith. If you're the type of person that goes to liberty as other people would go on safari, and the fact that John Lewis doesn't have a funeral service makes you fret, Sarah Smith cleaning cloths are for you. Sarah Smith, available from Sainsbury's for the Posher Washer. Proud sponsors of Dumpty Dum. Hello? Hello? Is there anyone there? Hello, is, is that Ambridge? Hello? Oh, blimmin' heck. Sorry, Vicky, love. I don't mind admitting, gents, that this show has given me... Um, I'm not going to quite say sleepless nights, but after blithely saying on this show we're going to do Man's Hour, I didn't know what the hell we were going to do, but this is going to work out. <laughs> and if it doesn't, I'm going to blame all of you. <laughs> <laughs> This is Dum Dum, the show, but a reality docudrama drama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the handsome and noble brother that is Royfield Brown. With me, I have the feckless and shifty siblings that are... Yokel Bear and... Andrew Horn. And with us this week in the house, we have the big, bad Mike Tucker Milkman, who's sometimes known also as... Uh, Terry and the last part of our Mandar folks is you. Now, lurking in the background, we also have a very clever and funny person from Twitter called Jed, who's going to be doing something um, rather special for us later on. Today's Dumpty Dum is from Terry Malloy, a.k.a. Mikey T of the show. Now, Yokel Bear, if somebody would like to send us a Dumpty Dum, how can they do that? <laughs> If you'd like to sing us a Dumpty Dum or play it on the spoons, whatever, or give us a plot prediction, then ring us on 0203 031 3105 or leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Uh, thanks to the lovely Lucy for going away. Um, hope she's having a lovely time so that myself and Andrew can once again co-host this amazing podcast. Also, thanks to Cosmo for his po- uh, podcast roundups and to Sarah Smith for sponsoring us. On this week's episode, we have a bumper crop of calls from Catherine Rowan-Jones, reminiscing on Games at the Fate, Vicky Cole, who is chilled by Rob, Catherine Kavanagh on Shula, Lizzie and the Doc Lock Triangle, Christina Auckland, who believes Charlie Thomas holds the key, Claire from Clapham, who hears echoes in the Pip Toby story. Andrea Melling, who wants to know when George was sent away to public school. 
Morgan Johnson, who fears Joe is booking a one-way ticket. Maeve, with a message for Jill. Steve, who thinks Helen is doomed. And Dusty Substances, who wants it all to stop. But first, let's have Jed's Week in Ambridge. We started on the cricket field, where harassment Burns was having trouble with some nasty balls. I don't understand that, Esther, said Burnsy. I read all those books you gave me, and they don't seem to have worked. I'm not sure Dr. Seuss is a qualified sports psychologist. I do not like those nasty balls. I do not like those balls at all. I do not like them at me shin. I do not like them on me chin. Those nasty balls are hard to hit. It's that, or just me battings. At that point, the serpent of Gaslight Cottage butted in to hiss into harassment's ear and convince him to get under Darrington's skin. Not everyone round here can shed their skin, like Rob. Ambridge came away with a win. <laughs> Our snaky friend celebrated by slithering around Fallon's buns and invited the whole team to the pub where he'd buy them all drinks. They all declined, knowing snakes aren't renowned for putting their hands in their pockets. Or having hands. Or pockets. <laughs> Eventually, he just hissed venom at Adam and rustled off into the undergrowth. Joe Grundy's predicting doom, gloom, Burnham Wood coming to Dunson in Surrey, Grange Farm, and the rising of the waters, whereby the farm that was being overflowed shall perish. Elfsworld's residents have listened to his prophecies and are all piling into their little elf boats and fleeing for a better life downstream in Felpersham. Back at Gaslight, the snake hissed instructions to Emma about keeping Henry sterile at all times. He brushed away <laughs> Emma's help at zipping him into his bubble, and off he bounced down the lane, startling a slightly confused Patrick McGowan. St. Shula, I knew her before she was a virgin, you know, moped into the bull for her birthday party, the highlight of which was Jill hooting, a sat nav, like Lady Bracknell, before spotting Liz, ditching her sainted daughter and denying her three times before cockcrow. At least with a sat nav, when she tells Alistair where to go, she can give him accurate directions. At the first horse painting, you can piss off. <laughs> Linda's taken to impersonating Paris Hilton as carrying her dog round in a handbag. She had jolly tales of the funeral, but I'm rather disturbed by the question of, will he come again? No stone stands over where he lies. The same could be said for Stefan in his culvert. Don't know about you, but I reckon that Resurgam stone has powers, and Ambridge will soon fill with legions of the shambling undead. Or is that just Dante Cardboard heading for the shop? Doc Locke was cornered by Shula. She sighed, moaned, and wove herself a natty crown of thorns from a nearby bramble bush. All of his <laughs> advice to her seemed to come from his favourite films. He told her to always let her conscience be her guide. Paint with all the colours of the wind. Look for the bare necessities. Whistle while you work. And Hakuna Matata. <laughs> After a detour to liberate Chris Carter's prop from the passion play, Shula wandered across the village, only pausing to tell Linda not to lay scruff to rest on the consecrated ground. Big mistake, Shula. Big mistake. Wedging her cross into the living room, Shula confessed her guilt and lay herself at the feet of Anna Toboggan to be told, that's nice, dear. Now bugger off before your stigmata keeps dripping on my rug. <laughs> Down in Hampshire, the snake hissed a cheery hello to Jess before slithering off to Arcelors with the bubble boy bouncing along behind. The fair buttocks were waffling on about Toby's fictional weekend away with Dapper Dog, Monty, Jaunty, Happy, Sneezy, Dopey, Grumpy, Bashful. When the phone rang, Lizzie's old bit of stuff, Robin, was ill and needed some attention. Toby suggested hiring a nurse from a carry-on film, leaving him free to roll in the hay with Pip. But Rex decided to drop everything, put on his Florence Nightingale costume and run off to see Jill, who for some reason was running around with a sheet over her head, pretending to be a ghost. Carol Toboggan was talking rubbish and seemed to be fixated on food on Friday morning. Anna asked for a bag of herbs. 
Then Carol disappeared off to see Jill, who told her to grab a smoker and come along. Not sure what they're up to at those hives. I'm sure they're getting a buzz out of it. So as we leave Ambridge for this week, Joe's waters are rising, the woods are walking, Scruff is resurgaming on Linda's mantelpiece, Shula's off up Lakey Hill to find somewhere nice to put her cross, the Fairbrother curse <laughs> is casting its spell on a third generation of archers, and the serpent is spreading his poison across the county. So business as usual then. The end. Oh, hey. Bravo, well sir. Bravo. Who needs Lucy? well done mate well done thank you you couldn't have a man's hour on dum-de-dum without having mr alpha male himself mr terra malloy aka the milkman mr malloy yeah um this is all about us men this week right and and we decided well you know we had to come to you very obviously now you weren't the milk person where you were the milkman i was the milkman oh god yeah yeah yeah. but you know, yeah, definitely the milkman and the cowman and the uh, manager. And, and you were Betty's man. And I was Betty's man. Well, I always thought that you pair were actually a, a very good team, really. But you were a bit of a bastard at the start to it, though, weren't you? The Mike was total unreconstituted male. Mm. A woman's place was in the home and, you know, that was it. He, he, was, he was certainly not one of the new men until... Until he lost his eye. Till he lost his eye, yeah. Now, and, uh, I always wondered, why did you never play in the cricket team? Um, do you know, I can't think. Possibly because I'd only got one eye. You didn't always have one eye, though, did you? Oh, no, not to be aware. But he played in the darts team. He played mm. in the darts. I don't know why he never played in the cricket team. Um, do, you not meant- lead, do you not need depth of field to play darts? Eh? Do you not need, a, like, depth of field? Don't you need your, your other eye to play to play darts. I suppose you well, don't. We, where's you do with cricket? You need to know exactly you, where that ball's coming towards you. No, 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 you. You watch, you know, darts matches. You know, they they put away so much alcohol. I mean, depth of field means nothing. You know, you can do it blindfolded. You know. <laughs> it's dead easy. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, it, it it could be to do with the wooden leg. They didn't mention the wooden leg, did they? No, n- not much. Not much. Now, I've always wondered. Right, you and Neil always seem to have a bit of a special relationship. Now, I've always thought to myself, since watching Brokeback Mountain, right, Brokeback Lakey Hill, you and Neil, what do you reckon? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we get down with the pigs, you know, and uh, give them a hand and and (laughs) we'd we'd sort it all out, you know. Uh, Yeah, Nothing like a bit of wrestling with a pig in the mud, you know, it's, um, Mm. it's manly. Manly, manly indeed, manly indeed. Sort of thing one does in the countryside, you know, it's... uh, to be encouraged, I think. Um, uh, Mr. Yokel Bear. Yes. What, what do you? What was your kind of favourite Mike moment? I think. I think it's less kind of a favourite moment. What I loved about Mike was the fact that there was no messing. Basically, mm. everything was kind of just you know. It was this or that. It was you know. I don't know. You put me on the spot there. I, I can't have. think of any. Yes, you a- have. As is my one let, being let you me, know prime host. He's absolutely right, though. He is. I mean, Mike. Is you know he's a horny-handed son of the soil, and he yeah. suffers fools with no gladness whatsoever. And he, you know, he opens his mouth to change feet regularly, mm-hmm. but you know he says what he thinks. You know, he's um, he's not got no side to him in that in that respect. But you know what? I always thought though that Mike had had the thing with the ladies because didn't you go off salsa dancing and that say hey, oh you pulled your second wife? Yeah, yeah, but no, he did. See, see, he did. He did dancing with Betty. Mm. Betty and Mike were great ballroom dancers. Oh yes. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was sort of persuaded to go off doing some dancing by by en famille. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, come on, stop moping around the house, get out and get your get your shoes on again. Yeah, I mean, he didn't he, forget Betty rather quickly, didn't he? As soon as soon as you got out and started dancing again, you got yeah, yourself but, a young a younger model uh, from yeah, Birmingham. He got sucked into the into the into the the web of of lust that is Vicky. Basically, she's mm-hmm. uh, you know she's just a lust bucket on legs, you know. But <laughs> there, there was a moment when Mike was practicing his dancing. Mm-hmm. You might remember with um, them up at Grange Farm, Caroline's husband. Okay. Do you not remember that with, with, with Oliver? No. Please oh, yeah. remind me. It was a great scene, and we enjoyed doing it so much. We wanted to do it again. He was caught uh, in mid, uh, you know, mid waltz dip or whatever with Oliver when he was practicing for. Can't remember what it was for now, but uh, yeah, I do remember the scene where we were both, you know, clutching each other, and so uh, you know, there are manly things that happen on in Ambridge. You know? <laughs> but ballroom dancing is but one. On, on, a, on a scale of ten, Mister Horn, how much? Are you regretting Terry's uh, temporary removal from Ambridge? I think we've lost a lot. We, we've talked on other weeks about losing the characters, losing the different the different accents, and all the new replacement people sounding the same from central casting. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I think it's a, it's a great shame that we've uh, that we've lost the Tuckers. We very very rarely hear from Roy these days either. Only one, just that last bit uh, where he rode to Phoebe's rescue and uh, and saved her from her mad mother and aunt and all the gin drinking and uh, whisked her off mm-hmm. but we don't have enough of Roy either so no it is a shame I'm going to put this to all of you gentlemen here very obviously this thing that we've either worked in or produced podcasts for or just listened to is let's be honest about it primarily not aimed at us it's aimed at women it is even though I call it a docudrama it is in effect a soap opera the term soap opera was coined in the 50s because the soap bit denoted selling soap powder for women who were at home and this was something to to market to them and this is my kind of assertion this is as serious as I'm going to get here do we believe that for the most part the male characters are slightly underserved in terms of character depth. I'm going to throw that out to whoever wants to answer first. No, I don't think so. It's Yokel Bear here. Um, I, I don't think... You know, I've been thinking about this because a lot of people have said to me, oh, well, Ambridge is all about the women. And it is, to a certain extent, well, to quite a large extent. But I think the really interesting thing about the men mm. in Ambridge, over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so are seeing how the roles have changed. So you look at Brian. Brian's very much kind of 1950s old school. Where's my dinner? Why haven't you, you know, why you know, do my washing for me? And then as you get to the newer generations, you see the men do things in a slightly different way. They're less kind of stereotypical. That's why I thought someone like Charlie was really interesting because he wasn't a, he was quite a manly man but not stereotypically um, you thought charlie was interesting for all sorts of reasons uh, yeah. well i will i will admit that but... I, 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 I was i was going with your uh, with that so far along the way but then thinking of the next generation and david still isn't so next generation on from brian david um he's still pretty much relies on the central rock of a female character usually his mother rather than his his, yeah, his wife to keep things mm-hmm. going and when when ruth buggered off to new, Ze- new zealand 
you know, they they were living on on scraps until Jill uh, came back. So I'd like to think they would become uh, become more sort of equal roles, but I'm struggling to think along the farming side where they've always been strong women there. I mean, and they are the the bedrock of a lot of marriages. I mean, Mike he wouldn't have been able to exist without Betty. I mean, and in mm. fact, when she mm-hmm. went, he, you know, he was he fell apart because he couldn't he didn't know what suit to wear. You know, because yeah. she always chose stuff for him. Mm. Clary has always been that kind of um, mother courage figure in the heart of the Grundies. And although they lark around, when Clary puts a foot down, it happens. Those strong women have been there and the men have kind of relied on them um, for the day-to-day stuff that they want. And I think it's part of the relationship of any marriage that you do you do find men, um, uh, well, from my experience, relying on a woman not just to provide food on the table, but to provide affirmation of what they're doing or mm. countering things that they may be going off the rails on a bit and, and pulling them back. And women are mostly pretty much cleverer than men in that respect, mm. uh, I have to say. And I think Mike found that out, definitely, um, mm. over the time he, you know, he was with Betty and, and with Vicky. As much as the lust was there in the beginning, it was very, it's very much that, Vicky called the shots as to a lot of the things that they did and Mike sort of went along with it, you know. May have moaned about it and grumbled about it. And Susan and Neil are the same, you know. Susan says what she says and like a lot of men, we go, oh, I'm flipping wife, I better not say that, you know. And off they go. And it's the same with down the younger generation. If you look at uh, at Harrison and Fallon, it's very much Fallon who's... Who, who, so, who well, get, let, let me just stop here, Mr Horn. So after Yokel Bert saying he disagreed with me, you're all agreeing with me that actually the characters who are and this is a we're slightly going away from from my point because there is the dynamic between it, it within a relationship but i would contend that the most compelling characters the most in depth uh, written in the most kind of in depth would be Jennifer, Lillian, Linda, and there is a link that, you know, that invariably that they're all female. And generally, if we looked at Susan and Neil, in terms of the kind of the richness of that character and the way that they've written, Susan is richer than Neil. There's kind of no two ways about it. Linda is richly um, kind of portrayed much more than Robert. And I kind of could go on. What do you reckon, Jed? I know you're only lurking, but what do you reckon? Sorry. <laughs> nice to know that you're paying attention, sir. You fell asleep. No, I was sitting and listening quite happily. I wasn't formulating well, anything. You, you thought you listened to the podcast, didn't you? You're on it for a change, sir. I drifted off. I'm not in my garden for a change. <laughs> uh, a quick thought, Jed. What do you reckon? Well, yes. I, I find the um, female characters do tend to have a lot more about them. I mean, a lot of the blokes do tend to be slightly dozy stereotypes, I've found. Hmm. Uh, hopefully that'll sort itself out but i don't know it was your original point about it being a soap opera so aimed maybe towards women maybe that's a hangover from those eras i'm i just don't know so with the exception of terry we're all a bit peculiar the fact that we love this thing so much (laughs) (laughs) we do love it but but royfield i think a lot of those examples you're you're comparing Mm -hmm. within relationships as a male and female but there are some fleshed out characters that are male i mean jazza everyone loves jazza he's he's you, you know what jazz is going to do know, and it's not... i i love jazza too but jazz is actually one note jazza is a one note character i would say though i'm, I'm a big mm. jazza fan don't get me wrong so 
Okay, so what you're saying then is really then the the men that are there are playing along one theme. So Jazza, Jimmus in a similar yes. vein. Uh-huh. So the one, of course, who is highly nuanced is Rob. Hmm. Mm. If malevolence <laughs> and evil is nuanced. <laughs> but I, 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 d- go on, go on, Yoko Bear. Yeah, I've kind of changed my mind about it, actually. I've been persuaded by your arguments. Um, but I think one interesting thing is, is that, yeah, the women are the kind of central and the strong people. But I think within the characters, the men don't see it like that. And one interesting thing that I picked up on was when you look at um, the two examples where men in the Archers have had real mental health problems, Daryl and Kenton, Mm -hmm. it all seemed to be sparked off by all of a sudden they couldn't fulfill the role that they saw for themselves as the provider, um, not bringing the money and that kind of thing. And I think that kind of, in a strange way, we look at it from the outside, but from the character's point of view, I think the men would see themselves as the central part of Ambridge. But actually, (laughs) you're right, you're probably not. No, I mean, it's the same with Mike, when he had his breakdown. Mm -hmm. It it was due to the fact that he'd lost the farm, he'd gone bankrupt, he'd lost an eye, he was was incapable of providing for his family. And uh, he went into depression and, you know, very nearly topped himself. Mm. And it was, you know, funnily enough, it was was Cassie, another woman who came and talked him down. Yeah, yeah, very much so. There is that. And you're right, it is the men would assume that they're in command, as I think most men do in real life. That they go along happily thinking, I'm in charge, I'm the breadwinger, I'm bringing it in, you know. They do compromise. They have to compromise for the sake of the relationship uh, and generally are happy to do so. Mm. But they would still see themselves as the head of the family. It's this old kind of saw that, you know, it's, uh, it's the, you know, the man is the head of the family and um, all else, you know, fades into insignificance. But but let's be honest as well. If if Brian was suddenly single, he'd probably starve to death in a week, wouldn't he? He would. Yeah. <laughs> now he'd just go and eat down at Grey Gables every every day, wouldn't he? And, uh, and the bull. That's probably true. Yeah. Mm. But the, there is one area which is forever kind of mandem in Ambridge, and that is the the, the Ambridge cricket team. Mm. Um, so, how do we feel about oh, the demise? They're all, all getting in on it now. You know, you got Fallon doing tees. You got, you know, the women's cricket team when they come, or the women's when they have the single wicket. They're shown to be rather good at playing cricket. You know, the only true male preserve is still the cider club. <laughs> no, 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 no. Lillian's, Lillian's, Lillian's joint. Yeah, club. she did. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, I missed that one. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Gentlemen, there is nothing left for us at all. Where this is going with the cricket is they're going to keep losing matches and eventually somebody's going to say, why don't we try a woman? In, in? Mm. And I think that's where that's going. Uh, yeah, with Lillian, well, Lillian, I think it's not so much kind of, if you like, the feminization of the cider club. I think it's just because Lillian can smell alcohol at 200 paces. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 she can, and, and she can be one of the boys, can't she? When yeah, she absolutely. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, are you sure Lillian is a lady? I mean, I wouldn't like to be wrong. <laughs> 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 okay. yeah. Which throws a whole well, new life. Justin relationship. Yeah, I say, yeah, Justin seems to think that she is. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, <I don't> <laughs> well, gentlemen, at that point, I think we should actually 
throw the show out to our caller in Hello, Ambridge 3962. Catherine Rowan-Jones is first. Hello, good evening. Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Catherine Rowan-Jones, the euphoniously named Ravelry volunteer summariser from High Wycombe. Thank you very much for your kind words about my name, Royfield, and Lucy B. Freeman for calling me a super listener. I've been doing some more super listening, and uh, in the last show, Royfield said that Doc Locke um, had mentioned you don't know what goes on inside marriages, and that's quite right. But he wasn't talking to Alistair. He was talking to Elizabeth. Um, He treated her to lunch after she helped him choose the birthday brooch for Shula. So I just wanted to clear that up because I might be wrong, but I think there's a bit of bristling going on between Alistair and Doc Locke. And I wanted to say that I was listening to Test Match Special today, um, Pakistan against England at the Oval, and it went surreally archers. There was a bowler ranging in called Iftikhar, sadly not uh, Lizzie's former love interest. And uh, at one point, Tuffers was explaining lovingly and at great length to a younger commentator about the pleasures of whack-a-mole that he used to experience at the fun fair or at the seaside and explain very carefully his version of whack-a-mole is when the uh, creature pops up through random holes in a baseboard and you have to try and strike it rather than descending a, a vertical tube like a a downpipe, uh, which I know has splat the rat. So thank you very much for the show. I love listening. I've been a listener from the very beginning, long-time lurker, recent caller in and I'm very much looking forward to hearing Dum to Dum Men's Hour. Curious what you're going to talk about. Um, the men I know tend to talk about problems with their cars, which curiously doesn't seem to happen on the archers. Now, Catherine was reminiscing about games at the fate now mr horn you seem to be from middle england somewhere which i'm from the middle of england but not from middle england um i I, whack-a-mole dunk the vicar this is not my wheelhouse this i did get picked up um by i think really by derek the other day um and i got confused i I confused whack-a-mole with splat the rat and uh yes i do remember i do remember both of those at at Village Fates. But I think she was also talking about the the Lizzie um, and Alistair, uh, sorry, Doki Lockie's conversation with Lizzie and not Alistair mm-hmm. about what goes on in a, in, in a marriage. Um, oh, can I just quickly jump in? Yes, everybody, I misspoke when I said it was uh, Doki Lockie and Alistair that had that conversation. Thank you for correcting me on every manner of social media going, everybody, for saying <laughs> it was actually Doki Lockie and Elizabeth. But yeah, go on. And, and Catherine's other point that I... That she was making is that that men, and this is really in relation with uh, with um, um, man's hour. Um, mm-hmm. Men talk about problems with their cars. She finds in 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 general life, but not in the archers. And and I was reflecting on that after listening to the call. And I think, I mean, apart from Jim's Riley, we don't really know what people drive. And well, I suppose Tony that's... his MG. Oh. Tony had he still got his MG, hasn't he? 
Yeah, he did rebuild the MG, but I suppose it's principally because they don't want to get into sort of brand endorsement or mm-hmm. things like that. And didn't um, didn't Woolley have a um, Jack Woolley have a have a Bentley or something that he, he had? Did. Uh, he did. He had something, didn't he? Yeah. They used to send uh, the gardener around in. Mm. Mm. Um, but cars are generally not, not discussed. No, no. I've just, I, you know, I'm sat here and I'm still pondering over the village fate thing. I feel as though I've lost, missed out somewhere because we never had anything like whack-a-mole at village fates down here. We always had a tombola, which if you've ever listened to my dad wrote a porno, that's enough to put your tombolas for life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed, we, we, that's a Monday we, morning treat. I mean, it's the West Country down here. We just do a wicker man. I mean, that's that's kind of how things <laughs> yeah, roll you, here. But you presumably have sort of triple Morris men instead, or something. Oh, you can't You're... move for Morris man. I'll tell you what, down here, <laughs> just anything you put on. Sometimes they turn up without even being asked. They're just there. <laughs> the Morris men turn up. But I quite like Morris dancing. I I wouldn't do it myself, but I quite like it. I think it's mm. I you know I think it gets a bad press. I don't know. I think it gets a press it deserves. When you think of uh, indigenous kind of dances around the world and Brazil and it's samba and the half-naked beautiful people shaking their bits to that or some kind of African tribal routines and whatever. And you have, the, you know, here's England's example, Morris dancing with men in handkerchiefs and bells. Oh, it, come on, it, it doesn't stand up. The thing is, with bells on their ankles, you can hear them coming and make your escape. I tell you, um, we used to have a thing called Lucas's Sports, which used to happen once a year uh, down the road from where I used to live in, in uh, Perry Bar in Birmingham. And I'm kind of realising what a big deal this was, because this maybe stopped when I was about eight or so, um, because Lucas's closed down in Birmingham. But we had the Red Devils, you know, flying above head. None of this whack-a-mole nonsense. This was a, you know, even for the 70s, this was a, a, a big deal. So this whack-a-mole dunk the vicar is just not a world I know anything about. No, nothing about it myself. Anyway, so uh, Vicky Cole uh, wants to move on from things of village fatedom and she wants to talk about being chilled by Rob. <laughs> Hello everyone, this is Vicky Cole in Kenya. I'm now back in Kenya after two months away in the UK. So back to the land of power cuts and a sick chicken and no elderflower cordial. First of all, can I say how lovely it was to hear from Christine last week. I, I really enjoy the Ambridge Observer, so it was great to have a, an insight into, into that. So thank you for inviting her. And secondly, I'd like to say cheers to Tim Watson. Absolutely brilliant acting. I think every single thing that Rob has said this week has been chilling, um, just brilliantly acted. I'm gathering from all the various forums and Facebook pages and discussion pages that legally it's all getting a bit silly now and, you know, a bit unrealistic. But it's still jolly good drama to listen to, very exciting. And I have no plot prediction. I don't know what's going to happen, whether it will be Jess who saves the day or Emma. But at the moment, I'm leading towards Emma a bit because Rob is just being so absolutely horrible to her. I think she's not going to have any sense of misplaced loyalty to him. So we shall see. I'm travelling quite a lot around the time that the trial is. So thank goodness for podcasts. OK, good luck with your boys' podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 
Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, gentlemen, how chilled are we by Mr. Titchener? Over to you, Mr. Yokel Bear. This week, about 27. Mm. There was the bit where the, the, there was a bit, um, just the bit with the, the venom that he kind of said to um, Emma, I'm sure, I'm sure you've spent the money already. Mm. But um, without giving anything away, I did listen to the Sunday episode. Just oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and let's just say, it doesn't let up. It's just like, you know, it's mm. just this week he's really showing his true colours, isn't it? Just that um, he can't help himself. Mm. It's just... And I think what it is, is that whole thing, I think it all started, the real ratcheting up of it, when he's realised, when he was asking people to go down the pub, that he's got no support. Mm. I think he's backed into a corner. Yes, I, mean, I, I think that Sunday's episode I really enjoyed with the... I'm talking about last Sunday with the cricket, but his whole approach starting to mend fences and you could sense, or I I sort of sense, you're putting this on, you're going out of your way to try and build or rebuild um, a sort of a base around you with the trial coming up. I thought it was very calculated. Um, But then uh, after the game, he was trying to get them all down to the pub and one by one they made their excuses and and left in the the words Mm. of the famous Sun journalist. Mm. And... um, and then he started getting needle and, and started um, picking on people. And, and when Adam actually said, I'm not coming because, um, because Ian is a character witness, which, which is the wrong thing to say because that's now tipped him off that, that Ian is going to be a character witness, he then, he then turned on him. And it, it, so the, the veneer is very, it, it's very shallow at the moment. It's not, he's coming across as strong and as very chilling and his performance this week amazing way he just turns it on a sixpence uh, and and lots of the callers pick up on that but yeah. on the on the other hand he, he's close to breaking you know when um henry's kicking the back of his seat in the car and yep i know with alex that's really really infuriating my little boy if he does that but he just like boom, you know sort of bit his head off and then it he just then switches it back on when he went, oh look here comes daddy's friend and da, da. Yeah. It, it, it's a masterful performance uh, it, it is absolutely a masterful performance and it's one of the uh, issues that when I did think of this whole kind of man's hour thing I thought to myself we really should spend a little bit of time uh, not only on Rob but on the wider issues that um, the in- introduction of Rob has brought to the village i.e. kind of coercive control and uh, just just very quickly, gents, um, the whole idea of kind of coercive control uh, within a relationship has been something which obviously the Archers has massively highlighted and the legislation around it is still actually relatively new. Um, kind of at what point in the whole Rob and Helen storyline were you truly aware that there was, uh, there was something malevolent going on? Um, I kind of missed the tuna bake thing when that first happened which i think was when a lot of the female listeners thought i i this guy is absolutely wrong and i just thought he was a blokesy bloke to be honest with you so if i just quickly just go around the table so to speak the virtual table um starting with you jed when did you first pick up that uh rob was uh truly the dark lord i've never been that sure of him but when the penny finally dropped i think was when Helen went out and got the new dress. And he's went, oh, no, 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 no. That's far too tarty. Can't wear that. Got to wear this sheet over you before you go to the party. It was at that point I thought, oh, hang on. No, mm. no, this, this guy's a wrong one. 
Um, how about you, Yokel Bear? Um, do you know, I can't pinpoint an exact moment. And I think that's been the um, the strength of the script writing is the fact that it's just kind of built. The tension and the, the plot has just built very, very slowly, tiny little bits. I think um, whether this was kind of clocking him for what he was fully but i think the kind of the 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 background the kind of homophobia that he's shown Mm -hmm. towards adam and ian i mean like there was another example this week where he said your so-called husband and you people um but i think also like jed i think the dress was the was the one where the penny really dropped of there isn't any doubt anymore this is what this guy is Mm. How about you, Mr. Horn? Well, I came to it rather late. Like like Jed, I wasn't quite sure whether he was just an old-fashioned, uh, old-fashioned chap. And even with the dress, whilst it was, uh, it just was was obviously wrong. It might just have been his. You know, I'm very protective. I've got this. I've got I've got my girl now, and I don't want anyone else to see. I want it to be sort of covered up. And I, I put up a thread, and I think it it might even have been last October, which, which got quite a lot of uh, talk coming. Well, I would even, you know, tried to say, is it as a, as a result of his, his child and his relationship with his mother? Um, I can't remember quite, quite when, but um, I know since talking to, um, uh, well, well, obviously Goddess Steve got it straight away. Um, and there must be some sort of dog whistle signals that got to her, but, but talking to Catherine Kavanagh, you know, she she said it got the hairs on on the back of her neck from really really quite early days. And I, I can't remember. There's a couple of examples that she gave me when we were talking about it. Um, that was just and and you are it just shows you are tuned into different to pick up different different signals. So for a long time, I thought he was just he was being written and played in an ambiguous way. And there was always, you could see two sides. Um, so really, I came to it really quite late. And that's, and that is one of the great things about this, this family and this community. You, I mean, I'm, I learn a lot from, from Goddess Diva, um, things that I've not really been exposed to. And um, so it's all great from mm. that point of view. But no, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I missed it. I, I, I'll sit my hand up to that. That's that's really interesting because I was going to say about Goddess Diva because I've had conversations with her early on in this plot where I've said, look, are we absolutely sure that this is kind of coercion? Is that, you know, because it, it seemed ambiguous in the plot. And she was saying to me, absolutely 100% definite, this is where this is going. Um, and I know a lot of other women that said far earlier than men, this is where it's going. And mm. I think, I, I, you know, I, it made me think about kind of, well, how do I look at things like this? Am I not picking up on stuff? So, yeah, it was, that was really interesting. No, and I think you, you, you absolutely nailed it, Andrew, is that, um, you know, you, you hear kind of, kind of slightly different things, you know, depending on the gender bias or your, your sexual bias, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, where this falls down massively is the amount of work that the scriptwriters have have done, obviously, to um, outlay this whole issue of coercive control and to do it in such a masterful way that not everybody got it at first. It's not just men, but a lot of men didn't get it 
for some time because it was so insidious. It was so subtle. And then every, it's well documented what I think about the actual stabbing. But for me, it's been spoilt by the fact we now have a procedural. We have a court crime procedural now where people are saying, well, wait on a minute. Is she, is, um, Anna Tregoran, is she a barrister? Is she a solicitor? This wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen, etc., etc." That the power of this storyline is actually now being dissipated massively by, um, I think, the wrong move of having Helen actually stab him. And I'm absolutely no legal expert. I'm hardly a podcaster. You know, I'm still barely um, an Archer's listener uh, mm-hmm. of, of any kind of standing after 35 years. But it, it appears to me that whatever Anna can dredge up, the prima facie, there isn't much of a case against Rob, really. You know, he's been, he's been stabbed. You know, if I put all the character stuff kind kind of to one side uh well if i if i think about that for the most part it is kind of hearsay and but surely what we're witnessing now is just the unraveling of rob and that rob is actually going to blow his case up is what i think is going to happen i think rob is going to blow his own case i think that's the thing and i've i've been come i've been very frustrated about but i don't know how real this is you see i don't know um, the, the whole thing with Helen kind of holding back the way she is. I'm guessing that's kind of how that will play out in real life. I'm guessing, um, qu- quickly, Yoko, uh, I'm guessing that this bit, as frustrating as it is for us, the listeners, probably does play out. Because I do believe that in terms of the psychology of the abused, the, the script writers have gone to m- meticulous amount of detail. So I'm sure this is actually quite standard. It's frustrating for us, yeah. the listeners, but it, 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 it plays as being somewhat kind of true to life. But if you're going to go to this much detail, you've got to at least have a solicitor being a solicitor. You know, there is yeah, one, a barrister being a barrister. You can't really have it, have it both ways. And this is where the storyline has actually been muddied. The power of the storyline has been muddied because um, if they've gone to this amount of research they will know that in the vast, vast, vast majority of these types of horrible cases, there isn't an attempted murder. Mm. What happens is there is some kind of crisis point, then that woman leaves. The truth of the matter is that she comes back numerous times. And that mm. would have made for great drama in terms of the village where, every, you know, why is Helen back at um, Bridge Farm, etc., yeah. etc. Et and then, and you know, Henry being bounced from here to there and still loving daddy, etc. But it'd be much more powerful. And then we wouldn't have people like Miss Mid-City saying, actually, you know, legally, this is all bunkum. You know, mm. because we've all been swept along by the power of this storyline, which is written so well. I just think they're just so spoilt it by saying, oh, now there's going to be a trial and Helen's be- Helen's behind bars. And then there's Kaz with a Croydon, um, you know, facelift, etc., etc. And I, anyway. Do you- do you think, though, that there's... I mean, for a start, one thing I'll say is no wonder 
Anna sounds so knackered. She's doing like three jobs, isn't she? <laughs> but the um, but do you think that the 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 reason they've done it this way? And I know a lot of the legal people that listen have been tearing their hair out, going, "This is so not the way it would happen." Mm. But do you think that they've done this simply not to introduce multiple new characters? They've tried to condense it down to just one character dealing with this, just for the expediency yeah. of not having to bring in loads and loads of people. I think that's on record, isn't it? Yeah, no, they it, said they, it? they couldn't. Yeah, yes. they could uh, afford to to have a solicitor and a barrister and, and invest in the development of those characters. So they sort of lumped it all on Anna. But if you go back to the the stabbing which was incredibly dramatic. You could have literally had that scene apart from uh, the actual stabbing and it could have cut before you knew what would happened. And then in Archer's fashion, the next scene is Helen at Bridge Farm sobbing her eyes out, which would have created the same amount of press because ultimately this is all a ratings uh, game, isn't it? And it got on the front page of the Daily Mail. We cannot forget how, how powerful that kind of episode was. The episode could have been played the same way and with him saying, go get that knife in or whatever the heck Rob actually said. And then it could have cut and you could have gone, oh, my God, what happened? And then the next episode, her sobbing and Pat saying, Helen, what's the matter? What's the matter? Mm -hmm. And that would have served the storyline uh, really, really well, and given a much more realistic and instructive lesson on kind of coercive control. And then you just had this incredibly compelling, I would have said, a much more believable toing and froing for the next 18 months where Rob is trying to woo her, but then everybody knows what kind of a shit he is, you know, mm. straight away. But anyway, anyway, I ain't going to say any more about this because. Um, Catherine Kavanagh wants to talk about Shula, Lizzie and the Docky Locky love triangle. Hello everyone. Hello boys. I know it's the boys episode this week. This is Catherine Kavanagh here at Kavanagh CK on the Twitter. I want to say a special hello to my two favourite Twitter men. One being my wonderful brother in rugby, Steve Parrott. And the second being my brother in music, Andrew Horn. Andrew and I looking forward to singing together Mozart's Mass in C minor in St. Bride's in October of this year. So that's a big plug for them. To matters this week, and specifically I think the script writers deserve a big shout out because how they have managed to make that man so utterly malevolent in even the simplest of delivery. The comment this evening to Emma about you've probably spent it already or the comment to Jess about oh where does he get his blue eyes from? Are they from his father? What a Sorry for my French. Apologies. I genuinely think the acting is superb out of this world and Tim Watson really deserves any accolade that that's due to him. To matters female, poor old Shula. I do feel sorry for her. I know I'm the first and only person to say that, but she clearly is married to a fella who's only concerned about himself, doesn't give a shit about her. And the present from Dr. Dickie, Dickie Tricky clearly was a chance for him to um, ingratiate himself with her awful bloody sister. So poor old Sheila, spare a thought for a lady who probably is going through some angst. Um, I know she's only fictional. I know it's all only fictional, but God, I love it. Hope you're all very well, boys. I enjoy interacting with all of you on Twitter. I think this is a lovely idea from Royfield. Royfield, I hope you're doing well stateside and uh, 
Well, bloody done to my friend Harriet on the past two weeks. And Millie, I will send you a separate speak pipe because you made me laugh and laugh last week inadvertently. I must admit, I'm somewhat not quite invested in this love triangle, gentlemen. Um, So I'm going to leave this over to you, Mr. Andrew Horn. Tell us what you think. Well, um, first of all, Catherine, thanks for the plug for the Mozart. Looking forward to starting to sing that with you next week, this week. Um, But I think, I think, Royfer, when you say you're not yet invested in the love triangle, uh, you're you're not invested. I think it's you're not yet invested. I think it's going to be one of those stories that in the run up to Christmas will um, will come come back. I think Um, you're spot on the money, sir. And I and I say this all the time that you know you settle down with the characters that you know and the dynamic that you know and you kind of like that and new things get introduced and for the most part this is going oh you know it is it is another thing and then you, you do end up getting swept along with it so you are right but back over to you Mr. yes Hayes. so i think the um absolutely right the whole point of it is talking about the the present f- that he's bought for shula was more trying to ingratiate himself with lizzie i agree uh, i agree with with, with with catherine there and i think also the uh, someone else, and I can't quite see it in my notes at the moment, picked up on the fact that the, you know, Shula um, asked Doki for uh, his opinion um, on her road to crucifixion, and he uh, he gave her several pointers, which she then ignored or took the, took the wrong way. I mean, he is not he is not interested in Shula at all in in that way that is all water that's under the under the bridge and i think he's quite he's quite clear i wouldn't say he's actively pursuing lizzie um but that's where he he knows that that shula and alistair are together he didn't split them up last time round um and he's not trying to split them up now mm. Ooh. That um, dissent, Yoko Bear. Well, I just the, the problem with this storyline. This is probably says more about me than anything else. Is that I've tried to get invested in this storyline, and I just can't. And I can't for one simple reason, which is that I really can't stand Shula. So anytime Shula does anything, I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so <laughs> I just, I'm just like, I don't know. I just, I, th- I think the thing out of all of them. You know, in that love triangle, if that's what it is, I think Doc Locke is the most likable out of them. I think Doc mm. Locke's quite a straightforward guy. Alistair got no idea what he's up to because... Well, that's I the don't... key to everything, really, isn't it? Because Doc Locke obviously has a little bit of a thing for Lizzie and Lizzie likes him. Mm. And the whole thing with the present somewhat is going to... Is, is there to confuse Shula into thinking that there's a little something going on in terms of Doc Locke having affection for her. But actually, the key to all of this is what the hell is going on with Shula and Alistair's marriage, which is more to do with uh, Alistair's apparent kind of ambivalence to the whole thing and neglect of the whole thing. Um so they've they've got into some kind of rut, but there is something going on with Alistair horse paintings. There is something going on with Alistair not even caring that uh, Rob forced Shula to to lie to the police. Not at not one point did he say the bastard. How dare he? You know how did you feel about that? You know so and Alistair has always been written as somewhat of a sympathetic. Uh, character you know 
even to a degree round the the whole kind of gambling thing you know you had a certain amount of sympathy for him because you just thought you're with that woman you need a release somehow you know so uh, but it, but in this regard no you know so uh, i think me personally i'll become much more kind of invested and and much more interested in the whole kind of story when i truly find out what's going on with alistair because i think the script writers have got something quite juicy lined up for us Mm, well, me and Goddess Diva have a theory, but it's... Oh, go. Is it one that which we could, you can outlay on a family podcast? Yokel Bear. Kind of. <laughs> go on, then. <laughs> shall, I, shall, I give it, shall I give it a go? And go on. You can edit yeah, go it out. On. I was having a conversation with Goddess Diva, and we were talking mm-hmm. about Alistair and what have you said. Well, he's always popping out of an evening. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of looked at each other and said, <laughs> you don't suppose he's going dogging. <laughs> but the thing with uh, just go aside from the jokes do you think this week there was an interesting bit you know when alistair was having the chat with shula she was on the horse and all that kind Mm -hmm. of thing where he quite aggressively grabbed the bridle i think i got a sense that he's frustrated with shula probably wider than just that one conversation he seems to be quite frustrated and pissed off with her. I just mm. want a sense I get. Well, it's not the first time that she's sort of got her hair shirt out and, mm. um, you know, this is a sort of recurring theme over their marriage, isn't it? With her with falling out with the church and all very, various other things along the way. I can't call them to mind, but when she goes into this, it's this, it's typical Shula reaction, isn't it? it it's mm. sort of, woe is me, I am not worthy sort of thing. So um, I'm not surprised he's getting a bit bit fed up. And I think uh, Maeve comes back to that later on in her call as well. Um, well, you know what, Andrew? Simp- Sorry? I, 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 think, I think we should go straight on to Maeve's call now. I th- yes, let's go to Maeve, because then we get the two lovely Irish voices together. Hello, Dumpty Dam, this is Maeve, ringing from uh, the big press. Gosh, haven't been sort of listening too much of late. Uh, I've just been back and forth to Ireland, looking after my elderly mum, sorting out my sodding children, all the shite and detritus of uh, 51-year-old's uh, life, really. Um, so I listened to the uh, the omnibus this morning and uh, a few things. First of all, Jill, just keep your feckin' nose out of your granddaughter's love life. It's none of your business you know, mind your beeswax, just let Pip get on with it. I hate Pip. I do hate her. I really hate her. But you know what? Just just get on with it, Pip. Um, chances are, is she going to get pregnant? Don't know. Don't think she'd be that stupid. But I think what's going to happen is Toby's actually really going to fall for her and fall hard for her. And uh, there's going to be some kind of a uh, Pip kind of love angsty thing in a couple of months, which will just bore the arse off everybody. Shula. Oh my God. Shula, Shula, Shula. You know what, Shula? Come on. You're such a martyr you know just climb back up there on your crucifix you know because actually you know just just get over it you lied uh, or you didn't actually tell the truth and now it's come back to bite you on the arse and what I would say is to Alistair go go now Alistair while you still can while you still have breath in your body there is a better horse donkey sheep out there for you just go and I you know what and I thought Anna had it spot on because when Shula came up expecting Anna to go, oh my God, you're so fantastic. You're going to put your own liberty on the line. I don't know why I'm doing that in an American accent. Anyway, whatever. But she didn't. She went, yeah, you are a liar and yet you are a coward. And yet, you know what? It doesn't matter. So you could just 
off. So Shula, mm, you know, you've got your comeuppance, uh, which I'm really, really, really pleased about. And uh, Creepy Rod, eh? Rob, eh? Ooh. Uh, I thought that scene was really, really, really well played. Um, although, Jesus Christ, why can't they get, you know, a better voice for f-ing Henry? I mean, how old is he now? Well, I was pulling Catherine's leg earlier about um, having listened to her call with, 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 with a couple of um, right words in. And my seven-year-old boy was in the room at the time. Luckily, he had his headphones on, um, so he, he, he didn't hear. Uh, and then I did uh, tweet her back later and say, you've lost the award for, uh, for Sweary Irish Woman of the Week. Um, uh, with 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 Maeve's, but I just love it with with both of them. It it it's softened by the by the accent, and Maeve's absolutely right that uh, Jill should just uh, butt out and let Pip get on with it. I, I want to come back at some stage and explore Yokel Bear's theory of the ancient curse of the Fair Brothers, which we had on Twitter today. Um, but with Maeve, yeah, absolutely. So Jill should um, should just butt out. Um, and, and she has great sympathy oh, for no, come on. I, I think I think that's a bit harsh. I think if you've heard uh, Rex rip into his brother the way that Jill has, and with the evidence of her own eyes, forget the he, um, Toby you know, coming out of Pip's cottage at 3am in the morning, put that to one side. Okay. But the fact that Rex just says, you know what, my brother is feckless. And here are the reasons why. You know, he doesn't care about his father, mm. doesn't care. You know, if that was my granddaughter, I'm at least going to have a roundabout conversation as well. Because the thing is, mm. Toby is a bit of a sh- Let's be quite honest about it. He's, he's, he's not a bad person. He's not, he's not, he's not evil. But, you know, would you, would you be actively encouraging or would you necessarily turn a, a blind eye to your granddaughter carrying on with such a person? I might well have that conversation that Jill had, taking the, the curse of the Fair Brothers completely to one side. Because what Rex said was pretty powerful, pretty compelling and pretty spot on the money. But I don't think that's where I think what's driving it from Jill's point of view is the curse of the Fair Brothers. It is. Um, and I think, I mean, I must say, I, um, Jojo also got onto this this afternoon on, on, on the Twitters. Um, I'm not sure I, well, I wouldn't have had a conversation with as, as Frank as that with my grandmother. I'm not sure I've had a conversation as Frank as that with my parents. Mm. Um, but I'm, and I am a bit of a Pip fan and I'm, quite good heavens i like the way that good she heavens, is man. can you Sorry? just repeat that again i think people might have uh, misheard you just say what you just said again so i am quite a pip fan let's move on jed <laughs> <laughs> jed that's, that's can you bring harsh, some s- sanity back to this podcast please we just oh. lost a whole load of listeners. Bring it back, Jed. Oh, Pip has grated on me for so long. The robot milkers saga and all her telling Daddy out of farm just annoyed me. But I think she's going to get to Toby. You turn up when I say. You do what I say. And then go on, sort off. I'll call you when I need you. I think being unavailable, Toby's going to actually become a one-woman man. And he's not going to be able to have her because she's just... She's not actually interested in any of that. So maybe she's the one that will break the curse of the Fair Brothers. Maybe they'll all sort off into the sunset and never bother the Archer family again. So, Jake, th- I'm absolutely with you on that, and I think that's that's where it is at the moment. Uh, and I and that's the bit about Pip that I really like at the moment. That she is saying, no, 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 it's not a relationship. I don't want him as a boyfriend. You know, friends with benefits, and I'm just going to have a summer fling, and that's fine. 
and it is digging into to Toby. He followed her down to the pub on Monday night um, at the birthday party and was hanging around. He was being the clingy one, so she is setting the pace. But then the worry is that actually Pip eventually, she is quite old-fashioned, that she she switches back and forgets all of this. I don't know how old-fashioned Pip is when it comes to se- sexual mores. I think she's actually a, a, a woman of the of the uh, I guess of the noughties. That would make her somewhat old-fashioned. Be ten years ago, a woman of two thousand and sixteen. Claire from Clapham hears certain echoes in this Pip and Toby storyline. Hi, Roy Field and whoever's doing Dumpty Dum this week and all Dumpty Dummers. It's Claire from Clapham here. A whole host of things that I wanted to say this week, uh, and it's only Wednesday. Uh, just loved, loved, loved Joe checking the privilege of Caroline the other day, saying, it must be so hard owning this enormous farm and a big hotel. I just thought that was brilliant. Well done, scriptwriters. Loved it. Just in response to last week's Dumpty Dum uh, on Pip and Toby, I think Toby might fall for Pip, but Pip will just back off because she said well she'll say it was just ever only ever about the sex um, I'm hoping that's what's happened I don't think Pip will fall for Toby or at least I certainly hope she doesn't in a way we have kind of had that storyline too because it was a bit like when Jazza fell for Fallon really hard and then she said you know what I'm not really that interested so there's a kind of you know the wide boy who's always on the pool wants to settle down with a special girl. It didn't work out. So I think maybe we might see something a bit like that. So well done, everyone. Keep the show on the road. It's been brilliant and look forward to hearing the next episode. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yokel Bear, what do you reckon? Yeah, um, absolutely on the money uh, with Jed. What Jed said before was that um, I think that, you know, the thing... The thing with um, Jill is that ever since they've arrived in the village, she's been like a haunted woman. You know, she's got that haunted look in her eye and she's t- she's always startled about anything to do with the Fairbrothers. Mm. But I think what's going to happen is, is exactly that. I think Pip, and I'm not a big fan of Pip, but I think she's, she's taken it as she's already said it, which is that basically, um, you know, this is just some fling. That's it. I'm just having a bit of fun. And she will dump him. I think that's the thing that will happen. Um, she'll back off, basically. She'll just back off. She'll be just like, no, I've had my fun. That's it. I'm done. And I think that's when you're going to get the real confrontation between Rex and Toby because Rex is either going to find out or she's going to make a move on Rex. I'm not sure about the last bit. I think, I mean, Rex will find out. Um, it's interesting with Claire's point about the, the echoes with Fallon and Jazza um, because the, there is that that um that mm. parallel he pursued her for you know for you know f- for ages and she sort of kept um pushing um pushing him away uh, and that hadn't uh, i'd forgotten all about that um until uh until i listened to claire's call uh fallon did relent once with jazza they, they did have one night together in the in the camper van or something or another as the off on the way to some festival or at some festival as I seem to remember but yes this one will definitely run and run and run moving swiftly on here's a touch of Andrea Melling all the way from Texas hi this is Andrea from Texas two dogs Molly Fleur on Twitter but that's now out of date as I have three dogs I just haven't got around to changing my Twitter name I'm a dog sitter and dog walker and also a football referee here in Texas Um, I just wanted to comment on Tuesday's episode. I haven't been listening 
recently because I can't bear to hear Rob get everything his own way, but I saw on Facebook that uh, things are beginning to turn, so I had to listen to the episode, and I had really two points. Uh, the first was, um, when did George Grundy turn into a public school boy? Um, I was shocked to hear his voice, um, completely unrealistic that Emma and Ed would produce such a posh child. Um, but I also was wondering whether this means that, as he's now a public school boy, does that he can't be the thief from the church, as many of us have suspected. Um, does this clear him? Because in the Archer scriptwriter's mind, no um, middle-class person can be a criminal, only Grundys and Horribins and the like. No dum-de-dum conversation about public school can start without, introdu- without some um, weighty polemic from you mr horn so (laughs) (laughs) i knew that was coming my way now andrea when i first started listening to your call i thought uh what do you mean if you just because he's been to public school doesn't mean he's going to be all right because i can uh, give you a list as long as my arm of uh of uh, dodgy bods that have come out of the public school system but what you're me what you're meaning you're saying in the context of the uh of the archer's world the archer scriptwriter's world um the public school chaps are generally all right, and uh, and therefore he couldn't be he couldn't be a thief. Though of course we have had was it Cameron, mm. Lizzie's boy Lizzie's mm. boyfriend that that uh, uh, knocked her around. Um, so there 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 is there is case, but generally in the village, yes, it's uh, New George is not sounding like um, like a proper Grundy. Mm. No. True. Oh God! I wanted to strangle him this week. Just the way the way he the way he was talking to Ed like he was a moron. It's just like, who is this character? I've not heard him speak like that before. And well, let's hope he keeps doing it, and Ed gives him a backhander because he's horrible. It's been a real week for kind of annoying kids' voices as well. Because also, just going back to Maeve's Maeve's call, um, Henry's voice as well. Um, just really grating on me, and now George is grating on me. I read somewhere that um, that Henry isn't in the studio; they record it separately. Yes. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have this theory because it's Henry sounds so disjointed. It's like you know when you're at a railway station. Mm. and they make an announcement but it's not actually somebody making an announcement what they've got is some actor to just read a series of words and then they've got a machine that just puts it in order and makes the announcement <laughs> <laughs> that's harsh yokel bear that, that's a my, my, my huge apologies to the child actor that plays henry but sometimes that's how it feels i think sometimes you can tell that it's not kind of like a conversation it's filling in afterwards because it's mm. just a bit disjointed but i actually i actually think the the henry bits are better than they were six months ago and that could be because the actor is six months older or because they've been stung the the script writer be, well the director sorry it's not the script writer's job now uh, the director has been stung by criticism of henry sounding so obviously um, mm. Not in the same room as as the actors. I actually think he he, he sounds better. I'm not saying he's particularly that mm. convincing, but he's not as bad as he was six nine months ago. I'm not sure, Royfield. I think we're just getting more immune to, to it. it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he is he is his birthday is I think is it January? He'll be six, so mm. he, he's 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 certainly well past five, mm. and I 
and again, my little boy Alex is just seven, and occasionally he can put on a baby voice, you know, for effect, but it just doesn't. He needs to be older. Mm. Yeah, it's not right. If I hear him say "pizza, pizza" one more time, <laughs> <laughs> it's the all white daddy. Oh yes, okay, fair play. You you are you are right, Mister Horn. I, I'm just getting used to it. Going from uh, one of the youngest residents of Ambridge to uh, Morgan Johnson talking about one of the oldest. Hi, it's Morgan in New York, Morgan NYNY on Twitter. I just had a little plot prediction that popped into my head. I'm sure I'm not alone in worrying about Joe Grundy. There are hints about him feeling worse and worse. I think it might not be long before he goes to the elf world in the sky. Joe booking his one-way ticket. Um, I'm going to break with the program convention. Jed, over to you. What do you reckon? I'll be heartbroken when when Joe goes. And his doom and gloom is... I think it's gone past funny now. It's getting really quite depressing. It's all these harbingers of doom. And, yeah, who was it that predicted earlier that he's going to live his last days out in Grange Farm? Because the way it's going, I think you're right. Um... Yeah, or or are you right, Royfield? How do we keep him going until the actor himself pops his clocks? I'm not sure how this is going to go. I think this is um, Archer's convention, that old beloved characters only truly get written out when they die in real life. So I'm telling you, right here and now, Joe Gundy is not going to pop his clocks. If it happens you know what, I will duly uh, say I was completely and utterly wrong, but he's not going anywhere until that, that poor actor actually, you know, shuffles off this mortal coil in real life. Oh, does that mean we get even more amusing and completely mental Elf ways? world storylines. <laughs> Elf and, world and lots yeah. of doom and the walking trees having their revenge. Oh, it's going to get bizarre, isn't well, it? Well, I must admit, I love the walking trees having their revenge, but I just, and I, you know, again, I'm just repeating myself, I can't stand all this, the Grundies are just feckless and just somewhat stupid and harebrained, all this elf world stuff and Grundy world <laughs> of Christmas, I can well do without. And and as somebody said somewhere, you know, where the hell is Eddie finding all the time to do elf world with his handyman jobs, etc., mm. etc.? Et it makes no goddamn sense. Cards on the table about Joe though mm. um i see joe as a role model for myself Ooh. i want to be like <laughs> joe grundy when i'm that age well, if i get you to want that your age, own donkey i just i basically i just love because i mean i personally i love things like ghost stories and a bit of dark folklore and all that kind mm. of stuff you know i don't perhaps it's just a west country thing but i just i really want to be like joe when i'm older i want to be sat there going oh i don't know about that or or there's a ghost there and stuff like i find him fascinating lovely brilliant but also as well the thing about the grundies is i do get really um i get hacked off with this whole idea that they're feckless because i think it's a class thing I think some of the other people in the village that look at them go, it's the Grundies. But actually what they're saying is, is oh, look, it's the working class people. Mm. And actually, I think the Grundy storylines, you know, they, they resonate more with me um, than, say, something about Brian or Shula or, or whatever. It's like they, they, those stories seem more real to me because I think, you know, 
I've experienced, you know, my family, you know, it's just kind of, you know, it's, it just seems more real. People trying to get by. That's what it is. They're trying to get by. And this whole thing about Grange Farm, um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on to a bit of a left wing rant here. Ooh, okay. um, Normally that's my preserve on this podcast, but you can the- don my mantle. What what really really hacks me off, and I think it's great that they've bought bought this storyline in about Grange Farm, because what you've got is you've got landowners coming in and basically saying, "Oh well, look, we're going to have to get shot of this property." Well, I know you're living here, and I know we did you a favour, but we're going to have to get shot of it. You're going to have to leave because I want uh, we want the place in Tuscany, and actually, <laughs> what this is really about is the fact that there is a massive housing crisis for working class people in rural areas we can't afford to buy in the villages that whole thing about um emma and um ed saying look we're going to have to move miles and miles away which is going to cause all kinds of problems um so when i see that when i hear this story i don't go oh isn't it lovely you know caroline and uh uh can get the uh the the nice place in tuscany i'm actually with the grundis and thinking for christ's sakes caroline these people haven't got nowhere to go. Uh, you know what, Ram- local bit? I'm, for the most part, with you, right? However, the Grundys, or at least the male Grundys, because Clary and Emma were looking after the place, should have taken better care of it. It would have made much more uh, medium to long-term sense for them to look after that place like they've never looked after any place before. So when Caroline and Oliver came back, the place is pristine and they haven't got their backs up. You know, so I actually agree with you about the wider socio-economic reasons for them being generally the way that they're kind of displayed on the programme. There is a lack of not just rural housing, housing within the UK full stop, and that disproportionately affects uh, people on lower incomes, working class people, etc., etc., who are now being forced never to be able to be able to afford somewhere but have to go into rented uh, property, etc., mm. etc. Et and Derisate is now starting to affect uh, middle class people, whereas now your, your average 30-year-old 30, 30 now can, who's got a decent job wherever they live in the UK cannot afford to buy a house without some massive loan from the bank of mum and dad so Mm. there's all of that going on but looking at this in terms of the the way the Grundys I would say should have i.e. this is our emotional home it doesn't matter who actually owns it this is this is Grundy land right and they got the opportunity to go back I wouldn't have been cavalier with it and they were somewhat cavalier uh, with, you know, getting moving the pigs in and X and Y and Z. I'd have been the squeaky clean tenant myself. Yeah. But, but yeah, anyway, I guess in their view, it's a farm. And I know for the last 10 years or however long Caroline and Oliver have had it, the land has been farmed by Ed. But the, all the buildings around the house aren't a farm. They move back in and they're back into decades. And, you know, but to what Yokel Bear was saying... It, you know, it's it's their farm in that respect, and they've they want to put the farm buildings to you know to use. They want to bring animals in, and I understand that. But they also all always knew it was only for six months. Exactly, so mm. it is a difficult one. I do think I think he's going to die there, and I and I know Royfield. There is this convention that they they let them die, and then six months later they either replace them or this time round with Joe they'll. Um, they'll write him out but I actually think this time 
they will, and that's why I said um, when Scruff died, he was uh, he was he was but the first. Mm. Right mm. on that maudlin note about <coughs> poor Scruff, we're going to move to Christina from Auckland. Hi everyone, this is Christina from Hampshire, originally from North Devon. I'm a first-time caller in a. I run a web development business, and although I've always listened to the Archers, as my mum is a huge fan, I only really started listening properly around the time of Kathy's rape, and I think Shula's doubting the church. I've got a couple of things I wanted to say. One, we really need Charlie to come back somehow. I've no idea how exactly, but I think he's crucial to Helen's case. The stuff that happened with him and Rob, I think, would be really helpful to Helen but I've no idea how they would get her back. Does anyone know if Clary's okay? The last we heard um, Eddie was shouting up the stairs Clary love you alright and we haven't heard from her since. Thank you so much for putting on such a great show. I love listening. To off now. Bye. Now getting back onto the storyline that I just have too much to talk about and don't want to. Does Charlie Thomas hold the key? Uh, Mr Yokel Bear over to you sir. <laughs> <laughs> has to be, it has to be you, I just, um, I think they should bring Charlie back for obvious yes. reasons and many reasons. I think Charlie Thomas, if they do bring him back as a witness or whatever, um, will hold part of it. I think, to be honest with you, they're going to go more Shakespearean than that. Ooh. I think the person that's going to bring down Rob mm. is Henry. Inadvertently, he's going to say things like that. Um, you know, just the uh, just the stuff that that we Henry would see as just normal. Other people are going to kind of go, well, that's not right. Um, so I don't know. I, th- I think it's going to be interesting because they mentioned about the social services interview. But Charlie, I think I tell you what, I'd, what I'd really like Charlie to be brought back from for, for apart from obvious reasons, is that I'd really like this Stefan mystery to be sorted mm. out. Because it's just hanging there, isn't it? It's just, uh, is he in a culvert? Is he in Poland? You know, it's, it's um, you know, I'd like that to happen. But on a personal level, yes, please bring Charlie back. Mm. Uh, Mr. Horn. Well, I think we have on the culvert gate, you're right, that needs to be uh, sorted out. And the water issues are not going away. I know they are partly around the tree at the moment, they're cutting down the big willow tree. But as, uh, as was referenced this week, um, there are other cases further afield on Grange Farm and also in Brookfield with that track that suddenly subsided. So water will play a key. And I I hope that we've got two outcomes to the story that won't be be named in the collapse of the case. One will be that he finally, that Rob finally loses it and the veneer cracks. And um, I know Steve, Steve, bye-bye, Steve mentions that in his call. Um, and we've also talked about it earlier. But the other is that the um, the waters, they are arising, and uh, it flushes out. Um, out uh, There's a, some sort of big storm, and it flushes out uh, Stefan's body, and that um, Rob is arrested for murder just as it comes to trial. And I know it's a bit far-fetched, and, and, and I would be annoyed if that were the case, because it's not archers for me. Yeah. Um, do, but it's, I'm clutching at straws to find a way to get Helen out at the moment. Do Do you think that Rob's a murderer, though? Do you think that that Do you think he's capable of it? 
I, I think he's capable of it, but I don't think he is. I think Stefan's back in Poland. But there is there is got to be something to do with this whole water and him blocking up the culvert. And, you know, and, and David knows that he blocked up the culvert. At least David highly suspects that he did. And uh, you know what? I, generally, I'm just so, so tired. And, and again, they had this brilliant storyline played to near perfection all this other nonsense we just don't need. And we, and we need it to be brought to some kind of speedy uh, resolution because it is this kind of uh, looming presence over the whole of the village. And it's one thing to say, right, we're going to play this out in, in real time because this is how it would happen in, in real life. But these kind of coercive control things go on for years and decades. Look at um, Ursula and uh, Hubby. You know, so just bring this to a speedy, speedy end, please. And there's somebody else who wants it all to stop, and that's Dusty Substances. Hello, it's Dusty Substances here, the wrong sort of listener. Um, came back from two weeks in Scotland, which was very lovely, apart from the torrential rain and the gale force winds and the lack of Radio 4. wasn't able to tune in. So as a result, yesterday... I listened to two weeks' worth of The Archers. And all I can say is, please, please, can you can can they stop it now? Um, I don't want to hear any more hours and hours and hours of Helen saying, no, she can't possibly say anything. Um, and it's now got Jess saying, no, she couldn't say anything either. Um, this isn't... This isn't really very engaging. Uh, could could we just either not hear them say it or could they just get the hell on with it? Because it's really, really tedious. But could they please stop this bloody thing now? It's just driving me round the bend. Um, and what a good thing it is that I don't normally listen to the omnibus. It's just too much to hear it in one fell swoop. Swell foop. Fell swoop whichever that is all at once just too much um anyway um good luck boys i think it's boys week so uh, i'm looking forward to hearing that anyway thanks very much and sorry to be a bit uh, whingy again but i uh, just hope it all stops soon anyway bye-bye well no one's answering that because i just think dusty you put it so well hello dumpty dum it's steve here speaking from the rather hot greek island of rhodes in a place called Lindos, drinking some rather insipid piss called Mythos, but never mind, we'll gloss over that. The case is going to be all-consuming, isn't it, for the next few weeks, and there's going to be loads of barroom lawyers voicing their opinion, so I'll give you a couple of mine. If Anna had any nouns about her, she would be looking at the call logs and the mobile positioning of Rob's phone because he's obviously in interfering with witnesses going to see with Jess or potential witnesses so if she actually got um, an order to look at Rob's mobile phone log she'll, they would know that he'd been visiting Jess on the eve of the trial uh, the other points uh, Shul has been blown out of the water which is good and I think the same is going to happen with sort of Ian's evidence as well. Well, evidence of what it is. It's basically a bit of hearsay. Judges, well, the prosecution are going to say that Ian's character reference is so worthless because, A, he's a near relative, 
taken by way of marriage, and B, because he hates Rob because of the kiss gate with Charlie at uh, New Year. Uh, Neil is probably the only credible character witness that they've got. The rest is really just Helen's word against his. I honestly think Helen is doomed. Rob gets the sewn up. The only thing They've I can think of is that he's getting so irate with Henry's minor nice trans- transgressions. Mind you, I would. I can't stand Henry, but no, that's a different story. But he's getting so frustrated with Henry that he's going to explode and, I hate to say it, sort of do harm to the child, which will then blow his case of being uh, the messiah figure of Ambridge out of the water. Yeah, it's going to be wall-to-wall trial from now on and um, I don't know how long the judges set aside to hear the case but I hope it's not too long <sighs> I'm sick of it already bye-bye, bye-bye, Mwah. bye-bye, bye-bye love you, bye-bye, bye-bye thank you Steve, right now gentlemen this is turning into a bit of a monster of a show, so we are going to go over to some emails and we have some emails and folks we love your emails so send them in and uh, the first one is from a leslie greaves yes leslie greaves says um only rob can get helen off everyone else's evidence um only proves that he's a horrible piece of work not that he's an abuser um it's got to come from him so i predict he will find out henry gave the wrong answer to the social uh, the social worker loses his rag and goes to harm henry emma will be there she'll grab henry run off to bridge farm with him and pat will then claw the police horrible mm. that sounds incredibly plausible to me mm. yeah i i think that might be a way uh, emma's uh, emma's going to be p- pivotal i think do you know how you could? There is one other solution. Um, you could get you could get Susan Carter to be a character witness for Rob, and then when she gets up and said, "Well, I think he's okay," everyone goes, "Oh, well, Helen's not guilty." Then if, if Susan <laughs> likes, if, if Susan likes him, then, then there must be something wrong with him. Brilliant. Anyway, Mr. Horn, sir. Okay, and another email from Archer Noon, who has a plot prediction. Toby falls seriously in love with Pip. She doesn't reciprocate and eventually drops him for being too needy. Toby is heartbroken but can't confide in anyone due to his betrayal of Rex. Pip then starts a serious relationship with Rex and Toby has to eternally watch on from the sidelines as they get married, have kids, take over the farm while he lives in the caravan with the chickens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I tell you, gentlemen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We're going to come back the other side of a break with, um, guess what? With a spoon standing in for Millie Bell. And then we're going to go to Steve Parrott's tweets of the last seven days. When you don't have a roof over your head. Build that wall. Build that wall. There was Build nothing marked wall. classified on my wall. emails either sent or received. Build that wall. I am humbled to have been chosen by Build the Conservative Party Build to become its leader. That Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the ocean from the perspective of the other. Do you have a National Trust sticker on your car? Do you think you could be best friends with Kath Kidson? Do you spend hours wandering around the airport looking for an organic quinoa cafe because you refuse to go to Burger King? Then Sarah Smith Cloths offer you... Available from Sainsbury's for the Posher Washer. Proud sponsors of Dumpty Dum. Greetings, Dumpty Dummers. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here, stepping in for Millie Bell today to round up what's been going on in the forum and on Facebook. It's been quite a week on the Archers, with the Voldemort arising from his slumber and the Topster and the Pipster suffering devastating disappointment. So let's get right down to business. On the forum, Ms. Bubbles and Miss Midcity both expressed frustrations with the legal strategies of Team Anna and Helen. Ms. Bubbles remarked, She needs to say... He made me pick up the knife. He put the knife to my throat. He said the only way I could leave was to kill myself. And then I saw him going for Henry. While Miss Mid-City replied, I've got to the stage where it's not worth my while focusing on all the stuff that bears no resemblance to the reality of a criminal trial as I know it. This is fiction, it's dramatic license, and it's plain wrong. Under the heading Voldemort's Back, there were posts by Julie Harvey, Claire Asbury, Ibn Batura, Sarah Sari, and Alison Johnson, who wrote, Emma has the makings of a sneaky gossip, just like her mother, but will use her powers for good, not evil. Soon the whole village will know what a two-faced, hypocritical, slimy, mean, toady, creepy psychopath he is. What a happy day that will be. We will hang out the bunting, when Harrison finds it, in Rob's shed, along with Ed's cattle and Stefan's body. As a literature-themed ending to the storyline, Kelly Schroeder created a complex conclusion to the tale. It's so complicated that I can't recount it here, except to say that Henry becomes both murderer and victim, creating a very gothic ending. Now let's turn to our Facebook page. In response to the question, Jill knows, doesn't she... 
Catherine Kavanaugh replied, of course she saw Toby slinking off with his jocks at half-mast in the wee small hours. While Paul Dishman offered these contradictory thoughts, my wife reckons that Pip will break his heart by dumping him, whereas I'm going for the I'm late, Toby, and I'm never late storyline. Many had opinions when we wondered whether there was a breakthrough with Helen, including Terry Gardner, who said, Oh, I hope so. It was so lovely to see everyone snub Rob in Sunday's episode. Now this. Things may be looking up. Leslie Greaves remarked, Presumably Rob will try and sabotage the 10B holiday. Let's hope Pat and Tony finally tell him where to go. And Gordon Jackson said, Rob will try and sabotage Ian's testimony as it will involve airing Adam's affair with Charlie. Can their marriage stand it? We ask ourselves. While we expressed disappointment in the big Shula fizzle, there were lots of thoughts and feelings, including these two. Leslie Greaves noted that at least it did reveal Alistair as a git. And Pete Ranson predicted the following. Emma is in a position to see something. Rob underestimates her, seeing her as an uneducated local yokel who can be easily manipulated. But it feels like she's being positioned to be a critical player. Imagine that, the Dark Lord being laid low by the Grundy-Carter contingent. Tom Wilson and Maisie Jett pointed out that Jess was too scared of Rob. I should say I was working out at the gym when I heard Rob pull the sneak attack on Jess and my mouth literally dropped. That was indeed chilling. Kate Nichols is back to wondering whether she can listen to each episode and may have to rely on us for the summaries. On a lighter note, there were many responses to the two questions I posed in honor of the Rhythm of Rio. Who is the best dancer in Ambridge and who is the worst? Please go to the Facebook page in the forum to see what people opined. Dee Leary said, I reckon Peggy got moves, while Judith Lawrence thought that Jazzer and his kilt doing the Highland Fling was the best. Sarah Woods Rockall thought that Burke could throw some shapes, and Martin Vanden Heuvel marveled at Hazel Woolley's tap dancing ability. Claire Asbury thought that David and Alistair would make the worst dad dancers. I could see that. Both JoJo Sexy Heels and I think that Ian would make an excellent dancer because, well, most gay men are. And I'll have the final word on who the worst dancers are. 1. Shula, because as Leslie Greaves said, she's too rigid and inhibited to let herself go. And 2. Rob, because like Voldemort, he has no soul. Well, I guess I'm done. So I'll talk to you next week. And as Millie Bell would say, hooroo! Hello, this one is from Millie Bell. It's Catherine Kavner here again. Millie, you made me roar laughing last week, <laughs> reading out my Facebook comment with your beautiful Australian soft pronunciation of my very Irish, your man. You pronounced Yerman. <laughs> Which, as any Irish listener will tell you, is the funniest thing you can do. Just so you know, your man is the ubiquitous expression in Ireland for anybody you refer to. Your man down the road. Your man who's buried by Robin the culvert. Your man who's the wife beater. Your man who is the horse whisperer, etc. Lots of love. Bye. Hi, Royfield and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. Yet another Steve here, best known, I think, by my rugby club nickname, Steve the Pirate the origins of which are lost in the mists of time. Many thanks for letting me pick my tweets of the week. The return of the Dark Lord storyline to front stage could have limited the inspiration for the more frivolous tweets, but as ever, the Twitters haven't failed to come through. The raising and lowering of Tower Bridge was, to be fair, an own goal, with Lisa Marks, Mrs Trellis and John Reed all scoring spectacularly. Lisa in particular speaking for us all when tweeting that 
She will never look at Tower Bridge in the same way again. Thanks for that, scriptwriters. People also seem to think that Toby having to shoot off was worthy of comment. I really cannot think why. This week, the sainted Shula attracted much vitriol from the Twitters. So it was good to see ancient modern tweet, I quite like Shula. Well, so do I, and have done so for the 35 years I've been a listener. I did, however, enjoy the birthday present of a satnav from the vet. Much tweeting about that, with my prize going to Dr Plinius, who got in first with this one. A satnav, Shula? Does it also come with a moral compass? Inevitably, though, the whole week revolved around Tichinob. This inspired my favourite line of the week, also noticed by Albie Star and Lisa Harlow Hello, which was actually from the continuity announcer on, I think, Wednesday, when he stated, I'm dressing up as Rob at Halloween. And thank you to Claire Bogard for this gem. Rob asks where his character witnesses are, and the whole of Twitter puts their hands up. The interview with Kafkas is going to be interesting, with Rob having put his coaching hat on. I dearly hope that Jim Easterbrook's prediction of Henry's answers comes true when he tweeted, The right answers? Daddy gives me lots of sweets. Daddy gives me pizza. Daddy thinks chaps are better off without women. And so to Tweet of the Week with a pause for the fanfare. Thank you, John from Soho, who imagined this scene. Rob is at this cottage and the phone rings. Rob. Hello, Rob Titchener. Caller. Have you had an accident that wasn't your fault? Rob. That's what I've been telling everybody. That's it. Thanks again. And goodbye from Steve the Pirate, also known as at Steve underscore Parrot. Thank you for that, Witherspoon and Steve. Uh, Great tweets. Now... It's time for me to wrap the show up. Oh, crumbs. You know what? I've enjoyed this show, gentlemen. We should, we should at least do this once a year, I reckon. Have a little bit of a manning. It should be, there should be the dum-de-dum sweat lodge, really, shouldn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I like that, Terry. I With like cider. That. With cider. <laughs> now, folks... If you want, if you've got any other great ideas of how, what we should do on this show, you can go to dumdydum.com because we've got a forum on there and it's awesome. You go to dumdydum.com forward slash forum, go put your ideas down there. Also, and dumdydum.com, we've got a shop. Oh, yes, I kid you not. You can go and buy your dumdydum mugs, t shirts, and all manner of swag that has dumdydum written all over it. Now, as important as all that is, writing an iTunes review is even more important. And this week we have three new reviews. Um, From the colony that got away, Morgan NYMY says, still here, lol. Yes, Morgan NYMY was still here at the end. And Love Radio says, when 15 minutes a day just doesn't cut it and you need a further Archer's fix, Dum de dum is worth listening for Lucy Freeman's hilarious A Week in Ambridge alone. Listening makes the housework go quicker. From Brexit Britain. We've also got Jess from Brum. I love this podcast. Cracking stuff. Love Royfield and Lucy. Love the calls. Love the chat. And love the Elderflower Cordial Index. Thank you. Do you know, I had a moment there where I thought it was Jess from Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> If you would like to help keep our little show on the road in a financial sense, now there are two ways this can be done. You can donate by hitting the donate button on our website or... Um, You can go to patreon.com, search for Dumpty Dum, and you can donate $2 a show, which is about £1.30. It's about £1.50 now, and I really need to update that. Now, 
Yes. Remember, this show is uh, nothing without you. So you need to get in contact. You can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on our site or you can call us on 020-331-3105 to leave us a telephonic message from your phone if your computer's up the fritz. On the social media, you can find us specifically Twitter, where we're at dumdydum. Me, I'm at Royfield, which is spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. I'm at at Yokel Bear, Sarah Smith at Sarah underscore Smith, and Harriet, who's at Shambridges. And I'm Andrew Horn at Andrew Horn UK. And I'm at Tucker's Patch. See what I did there? Tucker's Patch. Oh, it's yeah. very good. That's, that's <laughs> very good. And of course, don't forget, it's Lucy at uh, Lucy V Freeman on the Twitters, on the Book of Face, where we have 1,300 like lurkers. Quite simply, you got a Facebook if that's your thing. You type in Dumpty Dum, you bump into us, uh, you sign up. It's awesome. Millie Bell corrals everybody there, and she does a cracking job. Gentlemen, 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 next year, meet you all down at the Sweat Lodge, uh, the Cider Club, and we'll do this all again. What do you reckon? Yay! Great. God bless you, lads. Listen, I right. really appreciate Thanks. you coming on Thank to do you. this. You, you've given us gravitas, sir. Gravitas. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was having chats with Charlotte today, Charlotte uh-huh. Martin, because she was doing things about um, Tula screaming that I'm going to go to jail. And I said, I'm going to get my Free the Ambridge 1 badge out and change it to Free the Ambridge Guilt Ribbon. <laughs> 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 That's going to be the next one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Mate, listen. When I when I get back to the UK, which is probably going to be in about a month or so, I'm, I'm going to hunt you down, Mister Malloy, and buy you that drink I've been threatening to for some time. Definitely, must do, must do. Okay, right, well, right, mate. You take cheers, care. Cheers, Andrew. All, right. All the very All right, best. Cheers. Take care. Yeah, right. See you. Oof. That has been a show and a half. Now we've actually stopped recording. We can say what we really think. Jed, how was it for you? Oh, that was nerve wracking, but it was quite fun. Um, there is a point I wanted to come back to, which ties in with quite a bit of things. Um, when you were talking about there's nowhere to live in the country, sort of there's no affordable housing. Mm. I'm in a village that may as well be Ambridge. We've got three farms, mm. a community-run village shop and a pub and a cricket team that is struggling because people mm. can live here while they're with their parents. They go to uni, then we get them back for the cricket team when they're on break from uni, but after they've left uni, they can't afford to move back here. Nah, that's it. It's... That's it. It's hollowed out. We used to have loads of social housing, according to, well, the bloke we refer to as the mayor of the village, who's just one of the elder statesmen, this big silverback gorilla that wanders around. And he said there was loads of social housing in the village, but with right to buy, that disappeared. Jed, uh, just so we know, so we have a proper picture of where you're talking about, where is your village? Where are you? I'm right next to the second greatest thing to come out of Swindon, apart from Yokel Bear, uh, the A420. <laughs> um... <laughs> just outside oxford and it really is it's it's proper archers territory we've got the river at the end of the lane and in farms and various people (laughs) but there's so many people that i look at and go yeah yeah you're a grundy yeah yeah oh you're hazel woolly yeah it's great it's very very tough to afford to live here and Mm. if you're going to move into this village you need to be part of a professional couple these days and a professional couple, you're going to see each other at weekends, so you're not going to take your Sunday off to play cricket. Taking it all back to the cricket thing again. Yeah, the Archers does ring true in a lot of ways, but there's never any new blood. It just seems to be a roundabout of people shifting around the houses. 
and you've all got to know each other because mm. there's never any new blood coming to the village. Mr. Horn, I've really enjoyed today. I always enjoy. Um, enjoy it's been quite a while since I've been uh, uh, let leashed on this side of the mic, and I think we should, uh, as uh, as Terry said, we should uh, we should do these. And I think Lucy sh- Lucy should have a chance to host a show um, with uh, Shambridge's Goddess Diva, maybe Maeve or Catherine, a few others, Jojo, get a uh, and get a few other views going as well. That to me sounds like a wonderful and sensible idea, uh, Mister Yokel Bear. Um, well, a couple of things. You know what? I've, I've I've enjoyed working with you. You know, it, ah. you know, uh, many a podcast. I gently berate you, say that where you come from is a bit of a hole. <laughs> you know, but but actually, I I do love you really. Oh, I love you too, Roy Field. Oh, thank you. Um, I got a couple of things to say. First of all, on the having um, a women's hour, mm. I've already got a bet on with um, Goddess Diva that if she's on, that she can't go the whole show without swearing. And <laughs> if she, if she, and you've got to promise Save me, Roy, you're not going to edit it so she doesn't. <laughs> I said I will buy her dinner if she manages to get through the uh, show without um, swearing. But second Your thing money is, is safe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. Um, the second thing is um, I, I struggled really hard at the beginning of the podcast today nice. to not just totally fanboy Terry because not only is he Mike Tucker, but because I'm a huge nerd, he was, of course, Davros in Doctor Who, mm. and I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, and he's also um, one of the, the main um, stars of a series, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, called The Scarifiers. Yes. And it's like a, a kind of very gentle Mickey take of kind of things like Dennis Wheatley novels and stuff like that. Mm. And it's hilarious. And he's absolutely brilliant on it. And what I didn't want to do was come on and just go, oh, God, Terry, you're great. But <laughs> I was at the beginning. It was just like, oh, my God, I'm talking to Terry. So, yeah. So there you go. That's my nerd fanboy thing, you see. Um, now, we have uh, a lurker in our midst, don't we? We do. <laughs> How's it been for you? It's been absolutely brilliant. It's um, it's been fascinating. Uh, two things, I guess. Um, first, I realise now how little I know about the Archers. You guys, I mean, I, I I listen to it as as a bit of relaxation. You guys just can analyse it. It's fantastic. Um, so I really enjoyed that. If you really want to know what I, I know, um, what I think about it, you just have to look at my tweets because I, I deal in keyboard stuff. I'm a keyboard warrior. I don't talk very much, but I do tweet quite a lot. Mm. Gentlemen, this has all been wonderful. But now I'm going to go enjoy some Californian sun. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, thanks for uh, for man's hour or man's uh, one hour and by the time we've edited this uh, about 50 minutes and <laughs> we'll see you all again in seven days time on another dumpty dump when i'll be uh back in the clutches of one lucy v freeman Toodaloo. brilliant then. thanks guys <laughs> Bye. 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 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. Oh, that was excellent. Well done. Well done, everybody. Thanks. Brilliant. Cheers. We'll do this all again some, sometime soon. And uh, that's that. Doodaloo. Bye. 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 See you soon. Bye.